I invite you to be seated. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for this time together. Thank you so much that we're able to sing that song, God. God, we thank you that it is completely true that Jesus, your blood, is more than sufficient to cleanse from us all the stains of all of our guilt and all of our sin. Jesus, your blood is so powerful that it removes our sin from us now of all the stains of our past and it will cover all the sins of our future as we trust in you, God. Thank you for this, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your willing sacrifice of yourself on the cross in our place to make it so that we could be made right with you, God, justified in your sight, at peace with you, and our relationship with you, adopted into your family, all because of what you've accomplished for us in Jesus. So God, we love you. We acknowledge that it's only because of your work in our lives that we're even here today. So God, help me now as I open your word and preach, God, that I would only say that which esteems and submits to your word and that is good and helpful for these people to hear. And we love you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Jason. I like to get snacks from gas stations. Um, one time I had, it had just hit me, I wanted a ginger ale and salty peanuts. And so I stopped at this, uh, um, gas station and I go in and I'm going in and a guy's outside the door and he says to me, hey man, I'm sorry to bother you. You got a dollar for me? And uh, I said, no, I sure don't, man. I, I ain't got any cash on me. If I did, I would definitely give you something, but I don't, I don't have it. And he said, that's all right. And he's, but he seemed clearly disappointed. And so I went on in and I, I purposed right then in that moment. I said, okay, I don't have any cash. All I got on me to pay with is my debit card. They're not going to give me cash back here at the gas station. I'm going to get him a ginger ale and peanuts, just like what I'm going to get. And so I got two of each. I got two ginger ales, two things of peanuts. I held his together in one hand, and I came out, and I said, here you go, brother. And he said, he looked at it with some degree of disdain, and he said, mm, that's all good. I mean, I got a drink. And he had a Gatorade right there, and I said, well, well, here you go anyway. And you keep this and save it for later. And he said, thanks, man. And I, I left, and Bottom line is, I didn't have any cash to give that man. I wasn't able to give him any because I didn't possess it. I didn't have any on my person. And you can't give away that which you don't possess. You cannot give something away that you yourself don't have. To state positively, you can only give away what you have. And so as we get into Acts 3 today, Acts chapter 3, we're going to see Peter and John, they're going to give away the only thing and the greatest thing that they have to give, and that is faith in Christ. Um, we're going to see what it's like when God's people are going out into the world eager and ready and willing to transmit the faith that they themselves have and enjoy and benefit from and seek to give that faith away to other people in their lives. So before we get to Acts 3, I want us to remember what we've already seen in Acts chapter 2, the chapter right previous to this one. The church has grown by 3,000 people, so the church is really big. And so as chapter 3 starts, we don't see the church kind of sitting around together enjoying time in like an exclusive club, 
right? Now, they're, they're prioritizing fellowship and time with each other, um, certainly, but they're also um, eager to be out in the broader culture, participating in the larger society in order to seek to win other people to Christ. And so with that, I want to read um, Acts 3. I'm going to go ahead and read all, ver- all the verses 1 through 26. So why don't you grab a Bible and go with me to Acts chapter 3. Um, so what, what's going to happen at the beginning of Acts 3 is Peter and John are, they're Jewish men, they're Israelites, and so they're believers in Christ, but they're still participating in many things that were Jewish culturally. They're still, they're still a part very much of the Jewish culture that's there in Jerusalem, and so part of that is going to the temple to pray. So all the, all the Jewish culture there. Everybody goes to the temple at this ninth hour to pray, and Peter and John are still a part of that, and that's what they're doing when it starts out in verse 1 and says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he, the lame man, fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him while he clung to Peter and John all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's and when Peter saw it he addressed the people men of Israel why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. 
Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You were the sons of the prophets and, the, and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Amen. <clears throat> so Peter and John, here they are. They're, they're going to the temple and they're, they're, they're faced with this man who's crippled that tells us that he's, he was carried to that spot. Um, given what we know about the culture in Jerusalem at that time, he was probably carried on that mat thing. A anywhere he went, he had to be carried by these people, totally dependent on others, laid there every day, largely overlooked and scorned by all the people that saw him, not paid any attention to him. And um, Peter and John walk up, and this guy looks at him, and he goes through the things that he goes through so many times. He says, hey, excuse me, guys, I hate to bother you, but I wonder if you could... Give me some money here if it's not too much trouble. And Peter says, look at us. And the Bible says that the man fixed his attention on them. So I see it going down that Peter said, look at us. And the guy's like, oh, yes. The first people I ask for something today are going to have something for me. This guy's telling me to look at him. And so he fixes his attention on them. He's probably thinking, yes, sir, you want me to look at you? I will, yes. You're going to give me some money? I'll look right at you, yes. And so he looks at him only for Peter to say, I don't have any silver and gold. And I'm, I would like to think at this point, the guy's probably like, okay, well, that wasn't quite necessary. You could have just said no. Uh, you didn't have to have me look at you and then just say you didn't have any silver and gold. And then the very next thing that Peter says is something that this guy nor anybody else in that place could have expected. Peter says, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. The thing that Peter had to give this guy was real, genuine, authentic, saving faith in Christ. This crippled man had no idea that he was about to get something that was of far greater value than some money from Peter. He could not have anticipated that Peter was about to have him walk for the first time in his life. I think it's going to be helpful for us to consider Peter for a second. He's a guy who's a fisherman. If you've ever seen the, the very helpful show, The Chosen, Peter, and that show, that's him, right? Peter is a really common man. No reason to think that he was very educated or very sophisticated, living waywardly, separated from God by his sin. Peter knew what it was to be lost, but Peter had encountered Jesus and had placed his faith and his trust in him and had been born again through faith in Jesus. Peter had a new life that had come to him through Jesus. And here he is with this man who is physically lame, who is physically disabled, who's physically crippled, and Peter sees this man and Peter knows what it is to be spiritually lame and spiritually crippled and broken and bankrupt because of sin and the debilitating destructive effect of sin. 
And Peter knows the one who is able to restore that which is broken and lame and hopeless. So Peter's here with this man and he knows what this man needs from me most ultimately and most greatly is not some money. Nor, do, nor is the thing he needs is it most greatly to be healed physically, as important as that is. The greatest thing this man needs from me is to be healed and restored and made new spiritually, and that's the thing that I have to give him to bring that about. He knows the one who can bring back to what it should be, what is broken. And Peter's thinking, I'm going to have this guy walk for the first time in his life. I'm going to see that this guy is healed right now. I'm going to use this as a means to bring all the attention and put all the spotlight on the Savior, Jesus Christ. So verses 7 and 8, Peter takes him by the right hand, he gets him up, and he leaps up, and he stood, and he begins to walk, and he goes into the temple with them, leaping and praising God. Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts, and Luke is a, a doctor, a physician, and uh, one commentator says this, he says, the word translated feet is only used by Luke and occurs nowhere else. It indicates his discrimination between different parts of the human heel. The phrase ankle bones is again a medical phrase to be found nowhere else. The word leaping up describes the coming suddenly into socket of something that was out of place, the articulation of a joint. Luke, as he's writing this, wants anybody that reads it to clearly get the picture that something miraculous and supernatural had taken place in this man's life. And everybody there, everybody around them and at this moment sees it and sees it for what it is. It wasn't some fluke, scammy thing that this guy in a fake way gets up and walks. It's a genuinely supernatural miracle of God that this man jumps up and is now walking. Isaiah Chapter 35, verse 6, Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament who was speaking hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And in Isaiah 35, 6, this is what Isaiah says. He says, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The then that Isaiah is referencing right there is what's happening right here in Acts 3. Isaiah is speaking and he's looking forward to the time when Jesus would have lived his whole life, fulfilled all of his ministry, died on the cross, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And then Jesus' people, God's people, the church, would be unleashed on the earth to enact all the effect of the new life that Jesus gives through faith in him. That's the then that Isaiah has in mind when he says that then the lame man will leap. So this man jumping up is part of the prophesied reality of what the life and death and resurrection of Jesus brings about. So where this man once lived in lameness, he's now leaping. And it's because of an encounter with one person. It's because of one interaction with one individual who has faith in Christ, who has real, genuine faith and trust in Jesus. 
This is the effect of the church that is filled with faith, that is being led by the Holy Spirit. Faith in Christ is what makes things right for human beings. Um, when an individual, when, a, when one person personally, individually trusts in Christ and has faith in him, all the things in their life that are wrong are beginning to be made right in those ultimate and final sense. And as that person grows up and that faith takes more root in them and changes more and more things about them, as that faith in Christ brings about in them more and more of a subduing of sin and brings about more and more of a love for Jesus and for his people, it brings about a change in their life such that they want to see that faith given away to other people. Any Christian is able to give away the faith that they have, to transmit the faith and trust they have in Jesus to other people. So faith is the means by which we are restored to God through Jesus Christ, and we give that faith away to other people to see them restored, to see still others restored and made whole. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ and who he is and what he's done for us is what justifies us. It's what makes us right with God. It's what cancels the guilt that all of us have before God because of our sin. Faith is the means by which we are put at peace with God. It's the way by which we no longer have enmity with God, but we instead are at peaceful terms with God, adopted into his family. And this lame man being healed by Peter serves as an illustration of how faith in Christ makes people right and whole again like they should be. Faith in Christ repairs what is broken. It restores what is withered, and it heals what is sick. It makes us leap where we once were lame. And it does all of these things, the function of faith in our life to do this, to save us, to restore and repair us, and make us right with God, to give us an eternal hope in Jesus, because we have an eternal home in heaven with him after this life. All of that is done for the awesome end of putting attention on Jesus, of putting a spotlight on Jesus to show him the one who gives that security, who gives that hope, and who gives that satisfaction. So Peter and John in Acts 3 are serving for us as examples of what it looks like for the church to be filled with the Spirit, to be walking in faith and obedience to God, to be living in a way filled by, with faith and dictated by trust in Jesus. When God's people, the church, are living in this way, the ministry of God's people brings joy. That's one of the things that the church imparts through its life and service and ministry is joy, transmitting joy to others that's found nowhere else but in Christ. Verses 8, 9, and 10 Acts 3, this guy is leaping up. He's walking with Peter and John. It tells us he's clinging to Peter and John. He's walking and praising God. All the people are seeing him doing this. They all see the hope that's come about in him. This guy is happy. He's deeply and profoundly happy in this moment, and it's very visible to all these people. And continue to think about that Peter himself had first been transformed. 
That's God's desire for us, is that we be people that before God does anything through us, he firstly does something in us, right? He accomplishes something in us, in our lives, that we can bear, give testimony to, that we can bear witness to and share with other people. And God uses that to impart joy to other people through us. The ministry of God's people brings about joy, and God's people and their ministry also bring about change. Everyone that was there could see that this man was different. He wasn't what he was a few weeks ago. He wasn't what he was a few minutes ago. He's something different now. They all saw him and they knew. Isn't that the guy who used to lay there on that mat and beg for money his life, he was so destitute. His life was of such anguish and such bitterness. Look at him now. He's different. He's not what he once was. He's different. The ministry of God's people imparts joy and change where it is needed. And this should make us ask ourselves, as we see Peter give away the faith that he says we should, that he has, we should think, what is it that I give away to people? As I have opportunity, as God gives me a chance, am I giving away worldly advice? Do I give away self-esteem counseling? Do I give away tidbits that I hear from Dr. Phil? It's okay if you listen to Dr. Phil, it's not really the point. I don't even know if he's around anymore. But what, but what am I giving away? What is it I give to people? Do I give them those kinds of things or do I instead give away the life-giving reality of what it is to trust in Jesus, of the saving, sanctifying, securing way of trusting in Jesus and in him alone? So now as this is taking place, um, Peter is now going to capitalize on this opportunity that he has. In verses 11 through 26 of Acts 3, he's gonna, he sees this chance right now to blow the trumpet loud for how awesome Jesus is and the sufficiency of who he is and the finality of how Jesus is the ultimate and final expression of who God is and what God is like and what God desires to see in the world. He sees all these people running and all this attention is on him and Peter, him and John. And he sees all this attention and who knows how these people were praising them and exalting them and making this huge fuss about Peter and John here because this miraculous thing. And the first thing he does in verse 12, Peter gets the attention off of himself and puts it on God. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, their godliness, we have made this man walk? He's saying, this isn't about me doing this. I, I am not the ultimate reason why this happened. Sure, I was here in this moment and God gave me some degree of agency in this taking place, but it's not just me that has done this. That's the first thing he says. And the next thing he says, we didn't make this man walk. God glorified his servant, Jesus. Verse 13, he's saying, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, he's the one who's made this man walk. He has glorified his servant, Jesus. So Peter, in his mind, as these people are coming up making this big deal about him healing this man, the thing at the top forefront of his thinking is, look, God has glorified his servant, Jesus. That's the why and the how of why this has taken place. 
Have you ever had a moment in your life where God's just given you the grace to do something nice for somebody else in your life? Like a thoughtful thing, a thoughtful act of kindness where you saw some gift you could give your wife or some thing you could do for your husband or for your kids or for somebody you know in your life that you thought that will bless them greatly. I, I purpose to go do that thing and you do it for them or you give them the thing or whatever it is and they say, and they're just overwhelmed and they're so thankful and they say the words, this is so nice. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to do this. This is so, this is too much. You didn't have to do this. In those moments, we are nonplussed, meaning we kind of can't even think of how to respond. You didn't have to do this. And we're like, I know I didn't have to. I wanted to. It was my great desire and pleasure to do this. I did this because I love you right? The th us doing the thing isn't the main thing. We did this because we love that person, want to see them blessed in a similar way. These guys are crowding around Peter. And he, they're like, oh my gosh, how did you do this? Will you do this for me? Can I go get my, my mother-in-law, my grandma, grandpa, bring them? You do this for them, whatever. And Peter says, no, that, that's not the point. I'm not the point here. The point is God has glorified his servant, Jesus. That's the big deal. That's what's going on here. So that's what, G that's what Peter is saying there. And then when he gets to verse 13, 13 through 15, he's giving them the bad news, the bad news that they need to hear. The people have an inkling that something good is going on. And Peter's about to hit them with some bad news. He says, listen, men of Israel, listen, people gathered up right here. What God greatly esteemed, what God greatly prized, what God saw fit to exalt and glorify, you despised. That which God sees as surpassing all value, you treated as worthless and you condemned him as guilty and executed him like a criminal, and that's bad. But a large part of what makes good news good is by how much it's not bad. That's part of the way we measure how good good news is, is by the great degree that it contrasts from the bad news. In other, way, in other words, good news is truly seen as good when you put it up against the bad and so Peter is hitting them with this bad news because he's about to give them the best news that they could ever imagine. And it's found in verses 16 through 26. He's going to explain to them, look, faith in Jesus' name brought about this change. And faith in Jesus' name is what can bring about the change in you that you desperately need. This man is healed, and it brings to light the greater reality of what God has done in these days. Peter's saying, God has planned all of this, and now he's given you a chance. You have an opportunity right now to repent and the thing you need to do is believe and repent. You see, Peter sees the healing of this man not as an end in and of itself, as important as it was. He sees the healing of this man as a means to a far surpassingly greater end, namely glorifying God in the gospel. Peter's seeing, healed this man, and he uses this opportunity of showing off God's greatness in this man 
the sufficiency of faith in Christ to make somebody new and whole. He's seeing this as a moment to put on blast how great God is, how sufficient Jesus is as a savior. He starts out and he's talking about in verse 18, he says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Peter is telling these people, God had all of this planned before the world was ever created. God had planned to send God the Son, Jesus, to save all, all those who would trust in him in this way. God foretold this, God planned this, and God did fulfill this. But he's saying this in such a way that it makes it clear that God is sovereign in all of these things. God is absolutely and completely sovereign in such a way that he is planning and in control of all things. But even though God is that sovereign, man is still responsible. So when Peter says that God foretold and fulfilled these things, God didn't fulfill the prophecy of Christ's suffering, but all of a sudden coming to earth and God the Father being a man and saying, hey, give me a hammer, I'll nail him down. No, it was Roman soldiers who nailed Jesus up there. It was the Hebrews at that time who cried out, crucify that man and give us Barabbas. So even though that God is totally sovereign in the foretelling and planning and orchestration of that, man is still very much and completely responsible in that. That's important for us to realize that the Bible does teach both God's sovereign control and man's responsibility to turn and believe. It's not a one or the other kind of thing. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, man has responsibility. Wayne Grudem, he's a theologian, he says it this way. He says, this doctrine of God's sovereignty is fully able to accommodate the idea that we have a voluntary choice and we make willing decisions in accepting or rejecting Christ. People who remain in unbelief do so because they are unwilling to come to God. And the blame for such unbelief always lies with the unbelievers. So God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in this life, on this side of eternity, do run parallel, like two parallel sets of train tracks. And yes, there is, by all means, there is a degree of mystery to that. But it's not for us in this life to seek to unravel every bit of that mystery. By all means, we should seek to understand, we should seek wisdom, seek to grow in the understanding, the, fine, the, the minute points of how that works together. But in this life, what we're gonna see is it's more of our thing to do to submit to that reality and accept that that's true, that God is sovereign and man is responsible. As Peter goes on, he gets to verses 22 and 23, and he quotes Moses, what Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 19, where Moses said that there was a prophet like him that was gonna come, and that everyone had to listen to that prophet, or else be destroyed from their people. That was Jesus. Moses was saying that that was Jesus, the one and only who was going to come and be the prophet like Moses, who would be the final and complete salvation for all people. So Peter's saying God planned all of this, 
But the good news is that you have a chance right now in the hearing of my voice. God has even orchestrated this moment that you're hearing me speaking here at the temple. And you, the thing for you to do is to believe and to repent and turn to God and be saved, that all your sins might be blotted out. He's saying everything has led up to this. All of history, all of the prophets, all of God's prophets from Samuel on to right now have pointed to, the, to Jesus being the one and only. He, and in verse 24, that's what he says. He's saying, you're here this moment. You've witnessed this healing. You're hearing my words that you may turn right now and believe in the same Jesus that you just a little while ago crucified. Even your particular specific guilt of having been complicit in executing Jesus, that same Jesus will save you right now if you have faith in him. There is nothing you could have done. There's no part you could have played in his crucifixion. crucifixion. There's nothing you will do the rest of your life that will cancel his forgiveness of you if you'll turn right now, submit and believe in Jesus. God is mercifully providing for you Peter says, he has come to you first even to mercifully turn you from your wickedness. Um, I lived for four years in Mexico in a place called Puerto Escondido, my wife and I. And um, in Mexico, Semana Santa, which is Easter week, Holy Week, um, leading up to Easter, is a wild time in Puerto Escondido. It is not very holy, ironically enough. Um, so we were there and we were living there and there was one night, it was during Holy Week, I was running out to the store. It was a four lane highway, two lanes bound this way and two lanes bound this way. And I'm going by and I see a man and he's stretched out and he is laying across one lane of the highway on the opposite direction. And he's laying there with his arms crossed across his chest. And I went by him quickly. And I was like, oh my goodness, what did I just see? So I went and did a U-turn and I came back. And I, I parked my car on the side of the road. I ran over to this man and I said, and I come up on him. He was snoring. He was, he was asleep. That's Holy Weekend, Puerto Escondido for you. He's laying in the highway. And I said, hey, you have got to get up. You're laying in the road. And he sits up and he looks at me. He, he woke from a dead sleep. He says, oh, I, I am. I'm in the road. I said, yes, you're going to get killed. You have got to come over here where it is safe. Or you are, it is a miracle. You're not dead. Let's go. He said, oh, okay, oh, let me get up. And so he finally got up. He got on the side of the road. That's what God does for us with Jesus. We are so guilty and we are so blind that we're laying in the road as it were. We're laying across the track and there's a truck coming and it is a truck of judgment, the condemnation coming for us. And Jesus patiently, tenderly, mercifully says to us, he says, you, you gotta get out of this road. You are guilty and you're laying right square in the path of God the Father's judgment. Come with me over here and hide yourself in me and you will be as safe and as protected as you could ever hope to be. I already laid down and this truck ran over me so that you could get up and move. That, that's Peter's message right now to these people. That's what he's saying to these people in Solomon's portico at the temple. He's saying, get out of this road in the way of God's judgment. 
He gives the decisive advice in verse 19. He says, repent right now and turn again. Make a U-turn and forsake and renounce sin and believe in Jesus. And you will find him to be a greatly compassionate savior who will not reject you and who will not refuse you. He will not demand anything of you as you come to him. And he will give you a new life. Peter's saying, since God has foretold all these events and he has fulfilled the things he foretold, will you now at this moment turn and believe and prove to be among those who are elected to believe? Will you in this moment believe and turn to Jesus, make a willing, voluntary choice to trust in and put your faith in Jesus and prove to be among those who are chosen to trust in Jesus? This lame man being healed right here at the temple, this is a picture. It's a picture of what faith in Jesus does. And we are like the lame man. Left to ourselves, we are helpless. We are weak and we are needy and we cannot do what is required for us to do. We cannot do one thing to bring about the salvation and the forgiveness and the grace that we need. We can't do anything to remove our guilt of sin from us. But faith in Christ, trust in him, is what brings about that wholeness and restoration. The gospel is what repairs and restores. From what we've seen here in Acts chapter 3, I think of three questions that we should ask ourselves. The first one is, am I brim full Like, am I like a glass that's filled to the top with water so that if you put, drop anything else in that glass, it's gonna run over? Am I brim full of the gospel like Peter and John were? Am I full of the gospel like Peter and John so that it is the main thing I have to give away to people? Do I see the gospel as the most valuable thing I possess to give to other people? Charles Spurgeon said, those holy men, Peter and John, were brimful of the gospel and therefore they had but to run over spontaneously speaking of that topic which laid nearest to their hearts. To the Christian minister, it should never be difficult to speak of Christ. And in whatever position he may be placed, he should never have to ask himself, what is an appropriate subject for this people? For the gospel is always in season, always appropriate. And if it be but spoken from the heart, it will be sure to work its way. Is the gospel that which is laid nearest to our hearts so that the first opportunity we're given it away? Question number two, am I ready and willing to be engaged by messy people for their good and God's glory like Peter and John were? Am am I willing, am am I disposed to be inconvenienced by messy and needy people that I come up on in my life? Are there people in my life who are spiritual cripples? Are there people in my life that are currently now alienated from God because of sin and find themselves laying asleep in the pathway of God's judgment because they will not turn and trust in Christ. 
Am I willing to bear with and be with and speak to and spend time with and serve and proclaim the gospel to those people who are messy and needy, just like this lame man at the temple? Question number three, have I ever myself placed my faith in Christ in such a way that I have been repaired, restored, and healed of sin? You could be here this morning and you've never been here before. You might have never been to church or maybe it's been years since you've been. You've just showed up because someone invited you and you're here. You don't quite understand everything I'm saying. Well, I want to tell you that God has foretold that you would be here. God has worked it out and orchestrated that you would be here today. And God is at work even right now to get your attention so that you would turn and trust in Christ. You could be here today and you're a, you're a Christian, you love Jesus, but there's some type of lameness. There's some type of crippling thing in your life. There's some type of besetting thing which has you crippled to some certain degree. What you need to know is that the same grace, the same provision of forgiveness and grace that made you a Christian is sufficient now to sustain you and fulfill you and help you now as a Christian. I want to read from Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, and then I'm going to be done. Romans 5, 6 through 8, Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still weak, when we were lame, when we were helpless, and when we were crippled and broken and handicapped, Christ died for us. He set his love upon us, not because of anything righteous we had done, but because he is loving, that he is everything that God is. Christ died for us to make us right with him and win us from sin. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word that is so sufficient. Jesus, thank you that in the plan of salvation that Jesus, you said, yes, God the Father, I will willingly, gladly submit to the plan that you, God the Father, have authored. I will go to earth. I will die. I will live a perfect life. I will rise again for the justification of all these people that would trust in me. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that. God, I pray for the people in this room. There's nobody here, God, that is too far for you to reach. There is no degree or amount or frequency of sin that can cancel your love for these people, God. God, I pray that everyone in here would love you, Jesus. They would, they would trust with their heart, that they would, at the level of their emotions, they would say, yes, Jesus, I trust in you and who you are, what you've done for me. And you would give them understanding in their minds, that you would let them see that there's nothing that they could have done or ever will do that will make it so that they cannot be saved by you, Jesus. God, I thank you that Peter and John 
did what they did, that they had the faith, the courage, and the obedience to live for you, Jesus, in spite of such great opposition. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your mercy. God, I pray for everyone here, God, that they would see you for what you are as a great Savior, as a great understanding and compassionate Savior. There's no hurt. There's no betrayal. There's no abuse. There's no anything anyone in here could have lived through that you, Jesus, don't fully understand and that your love is not sufficient to heal. So help us now, God. We love you. And praise to Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Chris and these guys are going to lead us in singing one more song. So um, it's called Jesus, Thank You. It's a great hymn. Um, as we sing this, I, just, I encourage you to just think, have I trusted Jesus? Is there any way in which I need to trust in Jesus for some aspect of my life? Is there some way in which I need to surrender some kind of habit or pattern or aspect of my life to the lordship and the authority of Jesus? Um, if you're here and you have any kind of uncertainty about anything, if you have any kind of discouragement that weighs you down, I encourage you to not, don't leave today and just brush it off and think, oh, I'll think about that later. Like talk, talk to somebody here today. I'll be here. Chris will be here. Pastor Bill is here. If there's anybody else here in the church that you know and love and trust and you, you feel like I just want to talk to somebody, then I encourage you to stay and do that. Um, so with that, let's, uh, let's stand and sing.